Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. G'day everybody, welcome back to the pod for another week. My name is Matt Walsh here with Jake Michaels and Champion Data's Christian Jolly to talk all things footy. Jake, you're our Brownlow man in this office and it's fair to say there's a bit happening in that realm after this weekend. Massive week. Massive weekend for it, wasn't it? Um, firstly, Marcus Bontempelli played one of his best games of the year on Friday night, mm. um, almost certain to bank the three votes. Um, and then, of course, the the news with Nick Dacos, firstly getting shut out of the game uh, through Finn McGuinness. I think we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, and then suffering uh, a knee injury that's going to see him miss at least six weeks and maybe the, maybe the rest of the year he might not play again, which would be a massive shame um, considering how great his uh, second season's been. But um, it's flipped everything on its head. So Dacos was a very he was an odd favourite, wasn't he? He was about uh, one fifty one sixty with some books, um, and he's got right out to six. And Bont and Pally's come into about um, even money, and Petrarca about three to one. So, um, and I don't think it's just those three either. I think you've got players like Caleb Sarong, Lockie Neal, Tim Taranto, all these guys, Jordan Dawson, maybe sort of low twenties. They have three good games to finish. Um, tell you what, the pack's coming. It'll be like last year. The the count is going to be fascinating. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. Like we we can watch sort of the metrics of the numbers of people who look at different um, parts of our website online. And when firstly, when Bont had that game on Friday night, mm. we were tracking it, and it just trended. Green, up. It was, it was just it was at nine thirty. Time that he kicked his yeah. third goal, and <laughs> traffic was off the charts. And then Dacos was just I've never. It, it, it went again. Yeah. Um, so the, obviously the interest is unprecedented. So it means I think we'll have to do another one of those Brownlow special podcasts mm. uh, in the lead up to. To that week, um, but before we crack into things, something from the weekend that grabbed your attention, Christian. I might throw to you first. Yeah, mine's probably a bit, a bit more longer term than just the one weekend. But yeah, sort of starting to talk about um, the top four teams and they're all sort of been in um, not so great form in the last few weeks. So again, if you look at the top four teams on the ladder, uh, look at their last four weeks. They're eight and eight at the moment. Mm. So that's basically at this time of this time of the season, it's the worst top four teams we've ever seen at you know performance wise so we've never seen since 1972 i think when the te- uh when the competition became more than 20 rounds never seen the top four teams seating eight and eight um across a four-week period this late in the season even with a percentage of 95 percent um in that time so you know again talk about percentage sort of showing whether you're outscored or you know being outscored by the opposition they've, they've scored less than their opposition so Sort of that leads to a little bit of talk of, you know, have some of these teams like Collingwood, Brisbane, Melbourne, who had probably banked the top four earlier in the season than most teams had, had, mm. had pretty means pretty safe in the top four. Have they sort of let up a little bit and taken their foot off the gas? Um, which they have would be a bit of a worry. So again, looking at the last 10 premiers um, and their last four weeks of a home and away season, they've gone 35 and five across the past 10 years. So looking at that, there is no evidence that a team that wins the premiership has been able to take a little bit of time off later in the season. Usually you might reset round 13, 14, around the buy rounds, maybe have a bit of a flat patch. Uh, But as I said, all the Premiers seem to have really, really strong form in the last four weeks of the season. But at the moment, the top four are in their worst form of the season. Jeez, danger signs. We'll we'll delve into the top four Mm. and and sort of what's been going wrong for each different team at at different stages uh, in a sec. But uh, yeah, interesting times. I know we thought the top four was sewn up, and it probably is. But I don't think the premiership race is sewn up just yet, as no. we might have thought, Jake. No, definitely not. Um, and teams are coming. I mean, we've seen Carlton now on a seven-game winning streak. The Giants were just on a seven-game winning streak. The Cats, I mean, I think everyone probably going to do your brown, your brown predictor, your uh, finals ladder mm. predictor. And I think everyone will probably have the Cats making it. And they'll be a scary team from seventh or eighth. So 
Um, no, definitely not. I, I think you go back three weeks ago, as you say, and it felt like they were a fair way ahead. Not anymore. Yep. Uh, something from the weekend that took you fancy? Well, it was probably in the Geelong uh, Port Adelaide game. Um, after the three-quarter time siren, Jeremy Cameron taking a shot for goal mm. about 50 metres out, 45-degree angle. Um, ball goes gets to the goal line, and it was so casual. And at, at that point, it was the scores are level. I know it's still a quarter to play, but still for context, scores level. There's no urgency to punch the ball forward to not let the ball cross the goal line from Port. The ball sort of dropped down and then... I can't remember who it hit. One of the Port defenders just sort of hit him and fell down and sort of bounced on or just over the line. Um, and the Cats were given a behind. So there's two parts to this. Commentary team had no idea that the rule was... They seemed to think the rule was if the once the ball's touched, touched the hand. Yeah. then the ball's dead, which is absolutely not the case and has never been the case in the history of the sport. And the other part of it is why... And this happens so often. Mm. Why are the, is the defensive team... Not alert to this. Like, they, why are they not trying to just punch it forward and not let it cross, like, at all? Port why missing, are you giving them a free behind? Port were missing their goal line defender. It doesn't, yeah, it does, but it doesn't matter. There's it's no excuse. There's it, it, it's, there was no effort to try and keep the ball out of the goal. Yeah, that's really poor. And I think it's one of the things where... And I find it a lot when players are having shots either from tough angles or from quite far out, is just how lackadaisical they can be on the line. Mm. Not quite getting there. And, and there, is, there are some that go through... At a height where you go, you Gee, could if they planned that. that better, you could yeah. have touched that. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what what the thought process is with with defensive coaches or just the lack of coaching in those situations. But I just feel like there could be a lot more done for those those, especially the close ones where you go, gee, the, the height the ball has actually crossed the line, there could be a hand there. And mm-hmm. you, you look, the one bit of vision I love from this year is the match winner by Dan Houston after the siren against Essendon. And you have a look at where Port are on that. They're all lined up on the goal line because they realised... lined realize, up on top of the goal line. <laughs> well, yeah, and it, it was. It was based on what Aaliyah Aaliyah had done earlier in the season. It was like, well, if we just need to get bodies on the goal line mm. so Essendon can't jump over us. And, and they showed the vision exactly how... how um, surrounded the goal umpire was but that was all port players just blocking mm. that space talk about last two minute drills and all that kind of stuff maybe there's room for like goal line drills where you sort of plan with your teammates and you can get like a you can open up corridors or you can you know, jump on one of your teammates shoulders Ramsey, climb the post well not the post <laughs> but one of your teammates and, and get up a bit higher who knows yeah it's just weird it's not and it's not the first time I've seen it happen it happens probably once every couple of weeks if someone's having a shot and it just falls to that sort of point and they're so casual with the way they sort of punch or they'll just not care to mm. get they'll give them an extra point it'll cost someone a game at some point like everything always does something i noticed uh, another tick for the Kyle Langford as a forward you're you're i love i like you him. love the bombers yeah, don't you no, i don't love the bombers <laughs> uh, i i like what the bombers have done this year i like what Kyle Langford has done this year and he's such a he's he's one of those players where he's had injuries for so long a lot of hamstring issues and just hasn't been able to string it together in the park but now that he's got some continuity and some confidence together, the way that he patrols, especially when he does play forward, and he absolutely should play forward, he's kicked 45 goals this year, mm. right? So he's kicked 45 um, as as someone who played the first, or two of the first three games as a defender, and then you know, a, a different times he's also been asked to swing back. Yeah, this is a guy now that has scored 45 goals, and his accuracy is good. He's a great size as a forward. He's good below his knees. He's got good goal kicking. Yeah, he's a great marking. He's target. a good decision yeah. maker. And it just goes to show playing players in a position what they that they are good at can mm. do instead of trying to pigeonhole him. Like the thing that stood out to me and the thing that I noticed was Zach Merritt was interviewed after the, the game when the, when the Bombers won and they just sort of fell over the line. But he, he was interviewed and they were, they were talking about Langford and Merritt said that, yeah, he'd been training all preseason uh, as a mid and a defender. Mm. 
And so wh- why have they then trialed him forward at all? And then it, it's worked. And it's like, well, why would you put him back for round three or round seven or whenever he played more defensive minutes? I just think that if you get a guy like this who clearly knows his way around the goals, it can be so important. And, and 45 goals on the year is nothing to be sneezed at And, and he, he was drafted as a lead-up forward out of the Northern Knights as well and probably spent the first year or two at the club, you know, trying to get a game as a forward. And then, yeah, became an inside midfielder in yeah, about his third or, really third or fourth season. Like Joe Watson And I remember questioning it at the time, saying, well, you've you recruited this guy who had played... 90% of his junior career as a lead-up forward. How did how did Essendon think he was going to you know become an inside midfielder? And he sort of, he did a role for him in there, but he was never a prolific ball winner. But again, you, you speak about, the, you know, the movement of him this year. He kicked five goals in round two, and then they put him in defence defense in, in round three. three. So it's almost underappreciated in terms of how good a forward he is. Sort of looking at just comparing him to uh, Peter Wright as a target this year. When the Bombers go to uh, Kyle Langford, I think they retain possession about 30 or 20% more often when they go to Kyle Langford rather than going to Peter Wright. Yet Peter Wright is their most yeah, heavily used point. target. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of signs that sort of point to Langford, one, being a very, very good forward, but probably being a little bit underappreciated by his own team. Yeah, and in his ninth season now, um, which has sort of flown by, but he's, yeah, ninth season, first time he's played 20 games yep. in a year, to your point on injuries. Um yeah, and it it proves that point as well. And I and I'm writing something on this in my column, uh, six points this week about players playing in their correct position. Um, and you know, if if you're drafted as a forward or you're drafted as a defender or a midfield, whatever it is, why would it take nine years to play for for a coach and and multiple coaches that have coached him to play him in his correct position? And he's not the only one. There's there's yep. dozens of examples that we can go through and other players that we've seen even this year. So. It's interesting. Interesting. That's a great word for it. Let's get cracking. Heaps to talk about uh, this week, so let's not delay it any further. We talked about it uh, just before, Christian, with with, uh, your something you noticed. But the top four, look, it's looked pretty set for most of this season, and it probably still is, you know, having done the the ladder predictor a few times in the office, Jake. But all four teams in that top four have shown cause for concern in recent weeks. I mean, for a team that was a runaway favourite mid-year, the Pies are suddenly not looking as infallible, having lost their past two. The Demons really haven't sort of flexed their muscle despite still banking wins. Mm. Um, the the Two 30-point wins I know they haven't had in recent weeks, but they haven't really looked they, overly... They haven't played a four-quarter... Yeah. dominant game in a long while. Haven't settled Melbourne. on a forward mix yet, which you kind of just worry about. The Lions aren't convincing if they're forced to travel and, and Port haven't won for a month now, as, as Christian yeah. alluded to. So what has the team in the champion data offices noticed about these teams in the past few weeks that should really have fans sitting up and paying attention? I know we looked at the 8-8 eight eight score uh, or the 8-8 eight eight win-loss record, but is there anything in particular you look at for these teams and you go, that's a cause for concern? Yeah, we can look at a few teams individually. I mean, if you start with Collingwood, and again, a lot of, uh, you know, spoke about earlier in the season with Collingwood, and we spoke about it in the past with Richmond when they were winning premierships as well. Collingwood always gave the opposition a chance. They were never a dominant contested possession team. They were never big out of the clearances. They were never, you know, getting first used to it week in, week out. So they always gave you a chance. But their contest stuff has really dropped away, especially in the midfield in the last... It's it, Again, with Collingwood, you can look at the past month, but I actually extended it out to their... Their loss against uh, Melbourne on King's birthday yes. in round 13. The numbers sort of from round 1 to 12 to round 13 to 21 have, have changed drastically. So basically, if you look at ground ball get differential, they were first in the first 12 rounds. They're now 17th uh, in the, in since round 13. In the midfield zone alone, just the contested possessions there, they were first again How's that changed um, so in the first 12 rounds. The, has the, the personnel doesn't hasn't really changed. No, so I think it is a little bit of how they were set up. And they were winning so many of... Again, they weren't 
they were number one for contested possession differential, but a lot of that was post clearance. So they mm. weren't strong around the stoppage. It was just about getting numbers to the fall of the ball out in general play. Now teams are actually matching it with them, running with them, and, and sort of just sort of going with them in that area to, to sort of beat them on the outside. So you can see from their inability to win contests to sort of cost them time in forward half. So again, time in forward half across the first 12 rounds, they were fifth, fifth best team. Didn't need the ball. You know, Port Adelaide need need the ball to live in their forward half to win. Collingwood don't need it to live down there, but just because they were so dominant, it was it was uh, they were getting their time in forward half up. Mm. They've dropped to 15th now that they can't sort of win those contests in the midfield. So it's the two-pronged thing of... A team trying to go end-to-end against Collingwood is now winning more contests in the midfield and keeping that chain going. And when Collingwood's coming out of their defensive 50, they're losing a few more contests, so therefore their chain is is ending a lot earlier than it was in the first 12 rounds. So, yeah, contests and sort of forward-half game for Collingwood's really, really hurt them. And, and another team that sort of had, you know, signs of what their weakness was was Port Adelaide, um, again, before they started losing. We spoke about their forward-half game was, you know, really, really important to them they just they won the inside 50 count nearly every week the time in forward half their ball movement wasn't great their back six was actually quite easy to score against that they were just getting protected because the ball was never down there but you have a look look at the last four weeks and they're basically the easiest uh sorry the fifth easiest side to score against from a turnover they're 16th for contested possession differential hmm. um and they've sort of been outscored by turnovers in in from turnovers in all four games and conceded the most points of anyone from defensive 50 in the last four weeks. So, again, they're still winning the inside 50 count. They're getting the ball forward first, but now Port aren't winning the contest in their forward half. They're not being able to protect teams being able to go end-to-end against them. Um, and I think for two weeks in a row, teams have kicked about four or five goals from um, from back 50 against them. Which of those two teams, Collingwood and Port, you know, go back yeah four or five weeks ago, they were the clear front runners. I remember they played that game that was everyone mm. said, oh, this is a this could be the grand final. Um, which of those two teams are you more concerned about? To me, a little bit of probably Port. Again, we speak about, and I'll, I'll go on to the Premiership Standards Report in a minute on terms of looking at the last 10 Premiers and what stats are quite important to you. And it's the defensive stuff that is sort of pips the offensive stuff. So you need to be good defensively mm. um, to, to win a flag. And Port was always mid-table or even below mid-table defensively if the ball got out of their forward half. Um, so that was always one to watch, and it was just like, well, at least they can they can keep dominating the territory game. But it is, it was always a sort of an asterisk next to Port that once their defence gets, you know, a few questions asked of them, they might be the first ones to drop off, and they've, they've really struggled to stop opposition scoring. So speaking about the premiership standards, there's, you know, it's a spreadsheet we use internally at the office and uh, a few other people, I think, around the media use it. There's about 35 key stats um, and Every, every club's ranked 1 to 18 in those 35 key stats. Looking at those key stats, we've also looked at the percentage of the last 10 premiers that have won or ranked in the top six in that stat. So from those 30-odd stats, there's six stats that stand out where all 10 of the last 10 premiers have ranked in the top six. So basically, it's two of those stats are territory. So inside 50 differential, time in forward half, you need to be top six in both of those. You need to be top six in points against or you know score per inside 50 against, so one mm-hmm. of the top six defences. Um, and you need to be top six in being able to move the ball from your back 50 to your forward 50. And the other one, which is more a defensive one, you need to be in the top six for points conceded from forward half uh, chain. So you're not letting your opposition start forward or centre and score. So Repeat entries. From all of those six stats, you see points four, score per inside 50, your offense stuff, none of that stuff comes into that um, 10 out of 10 premiership stuff. So if you look at those six key stats and how each of the, you know, teams are tracking in the last four weeks so you look at recent form 
Brisbane in those six stats, two of six that they're in the top six for. So they're number one for ball movement, fifth for points against from turnover, which, again, being able to protect your turnover is another one, a uh, key one. But, yeah, sort of not in the top six for uh, territory, and I think they're bottom three for ball movement from moving the ball into end, so that's their worry. Uh, Colin, sorry, number one for ball movement, Brisbane. The one for them is this: the opposition points from forward half, so their opposition is still able to score from... Uh, closer to goal, Collingwood only one of the six main stats that they're uh, top rank, ranked top six in. Port two of six and Melbourne two of six. So that's mm. your top four right there. And, and this is a, a turnaround from what what happened earlier in the season. These teams were hitting a lot. A of lot those of these metrics. teams. I don't. I don't think we had a team that was six and six for uh, in in the first seventeen rounds. I think that a lot of these teams were four of six or five of six of these stats that they were. Um, yep. You know, ticking the boxes but there's in. There's a clear drop off there. Yeah, so that's the top four teams, as I said, you know, one, two, one, and two are, you know, how many top six stats they're in. The the chasing pack, if you like, so they're the ones that got some good numbers. So Adelaide's actually quite good in the last four weeks. Five of the six key stats they're actually ranked in the top six in. The only stat they're not in the top six in is their 10th for inside 50 differential, so not too far off there. Geelong, five of six. The one stat they're not in the top six for is their seventh for time in forward half. So they've almost got all six mm. boxes ticked in the last Ooh. four weeks. <laughs> Coming. Uh, Carlton, four of six. Bulldogs, four of six. And the Giants, three of six. So all of those chasing packs have all more. Got more. All hitting more of the metrics than the, than the top than four the teams. Top four, correct. Yeah. And I imagine we've not, never really seen that before. Again, it, it's... People again, you'll see it during periods of the of a season, but I reckon it's happened earlier, more Not going mid into like season a, so where yeah, but before yeah. you really sort the wheat from the chaff of exactly that's the thing top we know teams, yeah right? we know or at least we think we know well, or do you respect that, to St Kilda like St Kilda would have been in the top four for for parts of this season and, yeah. and now you go well they're clearly not that yeah but we're having played now everyone's played. 20 games it's you can sort of you know it's like well these teams are good these teams aren't and for the top four to be they seem a step down or like they clearly are a step yeah. down so, so is that the, and again that's why I keep sort of going back to I've just heard you know you listen to other people's take on this and, and the theory is maybe these top four teams were so far ahead and, and had sewn it up so early that they've just taken their foot off the pedal a little bit and they're, they're allowed to because they're a top four team as I said the, ev- the evidence is there that you can't take your foot off the pedal in the last four weeks of yeah the you can't you but I do think form, there is, so. that is there's a little part of that in, I with, think it is, but with, I think it's a dangerous yeah, game for them to teams. play. But it's also yeah. a saving grace because, you know, you look at Port, they lose yeah. one, then they lose two. Suddenly, they've lost four in a row. Yeah. It's a saving grace that they won so many earlier in the year that, that they're probably not going to fall out of the top four. Having done done the predictor, it, it's going to be tough for any of these teams to actually fall out of the top four. Yeah. And the, the, well, the form team of the competition, and we touched on them, is suddenly Carlton. Having won seven in a row, including against teams that were ranked above them. So Port, as we talked about, Collingwood, and they, they beat St Kilda, who were above them going into and the most Mel- recent And playing round. Melbourne this week. Yeah, exactly. And we've talked about how tough it's been, it, it is for teams to win the flag from outside the top four. And I know it's a bit of a, not a taboo topic, but people sort of roll their eyes and go, oh, it happened once. Like, you know, get, get over it. It's not going to happen again. But... This is kind of one of those years where you look at the metrics that these teams yep. like Carlton, Adelaide, Geelong, GWS, and the Bulldogs are hitting, and you go, if you're hitting form at the right time, could that trump wins on the board? hundred percent. Um, you know, people say, oh, it's just recency bias. Looking at Carlton's seven-game winning streak, yeah, but they've won seven games. You know, if they beat Melbourne, they're an odd. They're probably odds on to win ten straight going into finals, and that's what matters. I mean, look at last year, the two grand finalists, Geelong and Sydney. They were the team, two teams on the fifteen-game and a nine-game winning streak that went into uh, the grand final. I mean, Carlton. The most impressive part of Carlton's seven-game winning streak is not, you know, a couple of those teams that you mentioned that they've beaten. 
Um, it's the fact that throughout this, they have not been able to put together their best team on the park. I mean, at the moment, they're missing probably three of their best seven or eight players in, in mm. Chera, Mackay, and Walsh. Um, and then you can throw another three or four names out there as well that would be in contention for the best 22 as well. So they're not doing this at full strength while other teams are struggling. Um, and the other part of it is the, the, the way the final eight could pan out and then obviously the first week of finals. And there are so many ifs and we're, we're, there's a lot of hypotheticals here, but it's possible that Carlton could play all four finals at the MCG. Like, it's not as if they'd have to, oh, we've got to go to Perth, and then we've got to go to Sydney, and then we've got to go to Brisbane. It's not, it's not like that. They may play one away, maybe Port, Port or, or Brisbane, yeah. but that's it. It's quite possible they could play, and if they're good enough, four at the MCG. And as you say, the top four aren't separating themselves if they're coming back uh, closer to the pack. Um, not saying it's going to happen, but it's as big a chance to, and not just Carlton, like you said, Geelong, uh, even the Giants, you know, they, they'd won seven straight before their, their loss. It's, it does feel like a year where one of those fifth to eight teams could do it. The craziest thing for me is if Carlton, and like Carlton are the darlings of the competition right now, given their current oh, they're our form. darlings. <laughs> Uh, the crazy thing is they they could if they lose to Melbourne and other results fall certain they're ways they could be ninth yeah after they, the end at the end of round twenty two and and needing to to win their last yeah. few games just to make finals. oh that just reminded me that's that was my something I noticed I was racking my brains before we started <laughs> You've got to write these so, down I know so so the fact that the round twenty four fixture finally came finally. out which you yep. were you were banging on about for weeks but um the final game of the season a new six ten p.m. slot on Sunday evening another slot Carlton. I, Carlton GWS, and, and I, I know could... there's not a lot of them, but that's not great for GWS supporters. That's a big game for the year. There could be a spot, final spot on the line, and I, I said there's not a lot of them. But you can't travel down from Sydney to watch a game at six ten. You won't get back in time for work. So it's a real, it's a real time. time where it's like, oh, we can do that to GWS because they don't have enough support. I don't, I can't see them doing that to a a Brisbane or a West Coast if they were playing finals because the. The fans would just crack and say, "We can't travel for a six ten yeah. uh, Sunday." But game. but the the crucial part of it is, and you don't want to bring this up three weeks out. But like you said, it, you, we were talking about counting on a seven game winning streak would be eight if they beat Melbourne. But if they lose, mm. pressure on to beat Gold Coast um, up at Metricon, and yeah, which is always think. a bit of a bogey, danger, tricky game up there, Dewey, um, <laughs> and not as Dewey. Yeah, I was gonna say, um, but. <laughs> Yeah, and then it's like you could potentially go into that last game where it's win and you're through, lose and you're out. And it could be the second year in a row. Again, we're talking a lot of hypotheticals here and we've got to see how it all pans out. But it could be the second year in a row Carlton get dumped out of the top eight um, on the final day of the season. Uh, I find every, well, you know, year, year go, years go by. I think um, this year's the, the race to the the final day is just kind of one of the most exciting I can I wouldn't, remember. I wouldn't, Since want last be, year. I wouldn't want to be pinning my hopes or you know, backing, putting big money on a team. I think it's so wide open right now. Mm, it certainly is, uh, and we'll keep an eye on it as uh, as the the end of the season nears, and and we'll keep we'll keep looking at these sort of premiership standards, and especially those top four teams if they can start to turn it around and, and build some more form uh, ahead of finals. Because uh, at the moment, it's not looking who, who, great. Who is the tip? Like like who are you on right now? Because I feel like it's changed throughout. I think maybe Melbourne. Three or four times. Melbourne. I think Melbourne was my preseason prediction. I'm going to stick with them. I think they're. We talked about how they're kind of just treading water and they're not convincing. But 
um, they they keep winning, and they are in the position where they'll have the double chance, and they'll play at the MCG where mm. they're where they're pretty good. I think the D's are probably my my premiership favourite right now. I think they're probably the most likely. Yeah, I think they're the they're the team that are going to get players back. Oliver probably coming back this week. Yeah, Fritch at some as point well. for finals. Yeah. Um, forward line, few questions with Petty injuries. Um, but they keep kicking winning scores, and they yeah. get contributions from from elsewhere, and yeah, maybe the D's, and then. And the blues. And the blues? <laughs> oh, anyway, we can pontificate on Carlton. Actually, we should we should leak the emails that Christian sends us every week oh, talking he's, about he's, Carlton. He's, he's, he's all he on about. the blues, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the emails are just like, I'm, I, what was the one we got the other day? It was like, geez, I'm worried because I've never been this confident in them. <laughs> well, I was just saying, uh, not to go too off topic, but I can't remember the last time I've seen Carlton as single-figure odds to win the premiership. Carlton eight dollars right now to win the Premiership. I cannot remember the last time we were that short. Maybe twenty eleven, when they should have finished off four and a long time fifth. ago. A long time ago, uh, that's for sure. Hey, Nick Dacos, uh, we talked about the injury and how he will miss. Yeah. Well, could miss the rest of the season. Um, we'll we'll probably try and make it back for finals or at least um it's a massive injury story. Final. Like it that, is. That's that's like that's up there with. Was it the, we were talking about this recently. Gary Ablett, his shoulder when the Suns were, were close to making the first Dacos final. Has I don't think quite the same impact, Again, I don't think it's derailed Collywood as much as any other injury. You know, talk about it, it's a big injury and it's big well, for we the Brownlow. Like, but I think, again, I think, isn't it big because of the individual, because of the Brownlow count? I think If you both. look at Collingwood, I don't know. Clearly one of their best players. I'm not trying to talk him down at all, but I don't know how much their system will suffer without Nick Dacos. I agree. I think they're going to be, I think they're going to struggle without him. I think he's clearly been their best player, and the way we, you know, we spoke about it, the way they want to give him the ball at all, in, at every opportunity, um, and he's such a damaging user when he's allowed, you know, to have the ball thirty plus times a game. Mm. And we saw when they restricted. Not saying that the reason they lost to the Hawks is because they restricted Dacos, but it was a big, re- it was a big reason as to why the Hawks were able to to get on top. They couldn't get him the ball. He was basically didn't play the game, um, and Hawthorne were able to smash him in the midfield. What did you make of the reaction from some parts of fans, especially on social media, about the injury? So, I loved the job Finn McGuinness did. I yeah. think he's a very underrated player. I'm also going to write about him this week. Um, ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL. you read that Wednesday morning. I think he has tremendous value. And there's a big difference between value and impact as opposed to best player so not necessarily is he one of the best players in the comp but value wise if you can do that every week you're you're one of the most valuable players to have on your list so I thought he did a tremendous job keeping uh, Nick to five disposals for the game uh, I think one of them was a kick in and two were free kicks as well one of those free kicks he didn't give away so he's really only responsible for like three disposals it's a yep. fair effort for the guy who's had the best year um, but to your to answer your question, when the media release came through on Sunday more or Sunday midday, um, that Dacos was probably gonna miss six weeks. Um first thing I checked was the Brownlow odds. Second thing I checked was Twitter, <laughs> and it was just I mean, it's never great at the best of times, but the amount of just pe- people seem to seemingly celebrating this kid's injury. Say what you want to, you know, you can, you're, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but he has given us not one skerrick, one reason to root against him in the two years he's played. He's been an ultimate professional, both the way in which he plays, the way he conducts himself. He's all class. Um, and, and, you know, people say, oh, it's because he plays for Collingwood. Mm, that's that's crap, because if that was Scott Pendlebury, people wouldn't do this. Um, 
I don't know. I, I feel tall it's poppy. real tall poppy syndrome. But at the same time, why are we really... We never celebrate... Not that we're celebrating it, but people seem glad that he's going to miss the rest of the season, most likely. I think as a footy fan, you can be say, geez, I'm glad my team doesn't, doesn't have, have to play yeah. him. But you can't, you can't be happy that this guy's not playing because... Yeah. But it's cracking his leg, like it's it's horrific. Sounds sounds terrible. And um, I know if it was me, being the, the softy that I am, I'd be asking for twelve weeks off instead of six. So, you know, I, I I agree. I think there's I think that that footy fans need. I mean, look, footy fans are passionate. We love the passion because it comes through on broadcast and and on social media and on talkback and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you know, come on, he's and twenty look, years I've, old. I've Get been a grip. I've been big this year, as you guys know. That I think um, I would like to see this year's Brownlow Medal go to either. Christian Petrarca or Marcus Bontempelli, I think they're the two best players in the league, and I think they are better than Dacos right now. Um, but is that any reason to celebrate because he's got, he's injured and now he's less a chance to win the, the medal? Absolutely not. And no. I think the way in which people are carrying on um, for this guy is really piss poor. Fair enough. Uh, Christian, the key stat from every game where we kind of look through every result from the weekend and you look at where it was won or lost for each team or for each game, rather. Uh, the Dogs uh, on, on Friday night, this was over very early. Um, and Smashing. Yeah, and, and, it, and it simultaneously ended um, Richmond's season and it has kept the Dogs well and truly in it. Before I get to you, actually, I want to ask you, Jake, a, a question. Does it harm Andrew McWalter's chances of being coached next year at the Tigers? Oh, I think it, it didn't help. So I think yeah, it probably does slightly. I mean, does coming in after round ten or whenever he came in as an interim coach and having to do more than half the, the season? Thing, it's a hard time to cut because you, you've you've given enough of a sample size to sort of suggest okay, there's there ha- another, You're capable, another you know? thing I'm writing about this week is the Tigers and <laughs> they have they have struggled. It's been a disappointing year. It's been a failure. Um, talk about pre-season tips for the flag it was Richmond for me and I know I wasn't alone Rowan Connolly was on the Tigers as well and a few other people Mm -hmm. Um, they have been disappointing Um, and I think going into next season they're more likely to be a bottom six side than top six side I think clearly they're they're falling away and I think Damien Hardwick understood that um, and he's got out, and I, but I think yeah, there's been enough of a sample size now to suggest that well, he's put he's shown what he can do, but mm. it's also not enough. It's not, you're not you don't have the whole preseason. You don't really get to yeah. implement your entire. It, it's almost too much and not enough. Yeah, you want the back end of the season and a five, preseason. Five games at the end of the year where you get that sort of bounce out of the players. You know, you might go three and two, or you know, four and one even, and then you sort of go out and then you say, look, well, if yeah. I did that, give what, me a, give me a preseason the whole year. Yeah. So I don't know. I th- I still think he's probably the favourite to get it, but. Um. Yeah, I, it certainly didn't help his case. Uh, Bontempelli the joins the thirty and three club that we've talked about as well. well so for the second disposal. time this year, I think second he, time yeah, this season, he did wow. it uh, against North, I reckon. Uh, the dogs were just uh, everywhere, really. Yeah, it was sort of looking. Did a preview for this game during last week, and the big thing for me that was the Bulldogs just didn't take the game on. They they ranked last for meters gained from handball. They ranked last for using the corridor coming out of the back fifty. Uh, a lot of sideways kicking, so just sort of didn't take the game on. Um, finally did that on Friday night. So 201 metres gained from their handball, which is the third most for them this season. To put it into context, their previous games um, before last week, they were negative 137 metres gained from handball, negative 193 metres gained from handball, and 12 metres gained from about 180 handballs. So a lot of the handballs usually work it back into space to try to find a kicker. They actually took the game on by hand. 
uh, against Richmond on Friday night. Beat Richmond at their own game almost. Almost, yeah, exactly. So that's that's uh, a big style of Richmond just to keep the ball moving forward. So again, they ranked, uh, I think they were 17th for scoring a goal per inside 50 coming into the game. They scored a goal from 30% of their entries, the Bulldogs, second best result in any game. So, And the best retention rate um, that they've had this season. So they kept the ball moving and it was their highest sort of their, their, their best skill uh, level of the season as well. So it just sort of all clicked into, play, into place for the Bulldogs. Jake, do you subscribe to the theory that West Coast were not trying to win in the last couple of minutes of their no. narrow loss to the Bombers? I don't. I haven't even seen that as a theory. Are people saying that? I mean, it makes... I actually made note of that as uh, the so game do. went to the last three minutes. I said they better off losing the game, but uh, yes. I don't think they were. I think they wanted to win. Um, and they should have won. I mean... Talk about getting out of jail. That should have been that should have really been season over for the Bombers, and they've just sort of kept themselves afloat somewhat, mm. um, but not good enough. I mean, you can't. I know West Coast had a win, and they sort of might be sort of feeling a bit good after that, playing their best footy now. But you can't be a team that's in contention for the finals, um, playing the Eagles at home and and be down by what five with a couple of minutes to play. Bit of a bruise-free encounter, though. Yeah, for the second time this year. So I think they played round 11 earlier this year. They had a match pressure factor of 172. So again, we spoke about pressure. 190, 200 is a good number. Uh, 172 in their round 11 game. That was the, the lowest pressure in any game this season between two teams. This week, it was the lowest of the round. Um, it was about the 22nd or 23rd lowest game of the year. So it wasn't... Um, it wasn't low against uh, as it was in round 11, but... Just another game where it was just easy to go end-to-end uh, for both teams. A lot of uncontested possessions. And, and the Eagles actually scored 43 points uh, from defensive 50, which is almost 60% of their total score. So that sort of puts them in the top 12 um, games from the last 12 years of the most percentage of scores that you come from your back 50. Um, so, yeah, they were all to sort of be uh, able to waltz the ball from end-to-end. Their most previously from D50 was 28 points scored in round two. Uh, when they beat the Giants, um, so kicked an extra two and a half goals from from back fifty chains alone, West Coast. So um, only the second time as well. That, oh, sorry, only the fourth time this season that they've won the second half. They're all plus twenty two points after half time. So another one where yeah, Essendon were the were the winners in that game. But the stats that I looked at probably more point to how that game sort of yeah it it, it sort of played into West Coast hands. They, they haven't been a great contest team. West Coast we do know they do like to keep the ball a bit. Um, out in space, the kick mark game, and, and Essendon just weren't able to shut them down. Mm. Uh, Adelaide and Gold Coast Suns. So we talk about the we we, we like the, the Crows because they have, seem to have a lot of accurate goal kickers in the forward line. Um, but the third quarter was really sort of leaving the door open for the Suns. I know that they never really got within striking distance, but um, yeah, Crows just just off the boil a touch. Yeah, zero seven in the third quarter. As I said that just convert that into maybe 4-3 and, and they win by 50, 60 points and it's a smashing. So, it, yeah, I think the game sort of did play out that Adelaide were clearly the better team yeah. across all four quarters. The score scoreboard probably flattered Gold Coast a little bit. Midfield pressure was probably a big one. So, again, just looking in the in the midfield zone, Adelaide were plus 22 contested possessions, plus nine for tackles. Um, got outscored from clearances. So, again, if Gold Coast got their hands to the ball first from stoppages, but from turnovers, it was 60 points to 16. So you can just see that... Adelaide were able to put more pressure on, win the contest, and then also just from turnovers, they you know they didn't let Gold Coast punish them with a the score, and they were able to sort of put the score on the scoreboard themselves. Another, uh, another Matt Crouch masterclass. You're well, a big fan of Matt yeah, Crouch. Yeah, Matt Crouch is one, but the one I sort of noticed, and again, probably from Mitch the last Hinge? six, which is, yeah, Mitch Hinge across um, 
halfback for the Crows now. So he had he finished that game with 31 touches, 15 contested possessions, 14 intercepts, 450 metres gain. Yeah, most, so, most contested possessions of any player on the ground, Mitch Hinch. Yeah, so the last six, seven weeks, um, either way you look at it, last seven weeks, he's second in the competition for um, total intercepts behind Sam Taylor, GWS, who we spoke about on the pod before and, you know, yeah. could be a chance for an all-Australian team. Mitch Hinge, we sort of got him as a general defender at the moment, so he's probably playing on the smaller opponents. Um, but yeah, just providing that that aerial attack and intercept sort of stuff for Adelaide across half Being back. Very good. He's beat, he's, There's a few few defenders that are really sort of having sneaky good years. Nick Newman's another one. Uh, Noah Bolter. Some of these guys are just having really good years. Naziah Wangan and Miller. I would happily have him in any side that I support. Mm. Uh, off half back for the Saints. Just a good user. They they distribute through him. The Saints. Yeah, a f- I agree. There's a few few sneaky half back options the for the All Australian forty. Yeah. That uh, and there's going to be some stiff names to miss out. Oh, there will be. Uh, where are we? Hawks and Collingwood. We talked a little bit about Collingwood before, but the centre bounce, they were just smashed. Yeah, it, it felt like a game, just quickly, it felt, it didn't, I know hindsight easier said now, but it didn't feel like Collingwood was going to come back in that game. Didn't have that feel like they yeah, always had. I think they sh- they showed their hand pretty early as well. The way, it was, I think it was the start of the fourth quarter where Mitchell had been subbed out. Nick Dacos then moved to the back. You know, no one usually sits next to the sub guy at the back of the bench, but Nick Dacos moved to the back of the bench. I think, Someone else came off injured, sat at the back of the bench. So it was almost like Collingwood were trying to show us, hey, we're done. We're done. We're not we we know we're a good comeback fourth quarter team, but today's not our day. We've mm. been beaten and I think they sort of shut the game down uh early in the last quarter. So yeah, you spoke about out of the centre for Hawthorne and Collingwood. Eighteen three was the centre bounce differential. So um three centre bounces uh for the whole game is the fewest that they've ever had in their in, in their history again. So history goes back to nineteen ninety nine for these sort of stats. Um Champion Data's history. Champion Data's <laughs> history is history. So yeah, few, <laughs> fewest set of bounce clearances ever. I think one of their worst differentials, um eighteen to three. So smashed out of the center, but then also smashed sort of just in the uncontested possessions, the way Hawthorne's able to sort of flick the ball around and, and play keepings off. So the Hawks were plus ninety seven uh disposals for the game and plus eighty seven uncontested possessions. Both Craig McRae's uh, second worst result since he's been coaching both of those stats. So, hmm. yeah, Hawks just able to share the ball around and, and, and you know, smashing him out of the centre, that gives you the head start as well when you get the ball first out of there. Had to laugh uh, the, with the Carlton Collingwood game earlier in the season when Steel Sidebottom and Darcy Moore were talking after the game and they were kind of laughing that the Blues kept kicking it to uh, Moore. Um, well, the Pies kept kicking it to Sicily. So... You know they kind of swings and roundabouts. Well, 100 percent, and but he dominated again. Another 37 disposals, um, 19 marks, and just controlled everything. Did you did you rate the throwback jumper? Hawthorne. I yeah. Tell you what there were there were more of these jumpers I dislike than like. I'm going to say. What do you make of Port's one that they've revealed that they're going to wear in coming weeks? The old retro, the retro the lightning um, down the middle. Lightning Love strike it. With that's the, probably with the that's, teal. That's oh, probably yeah. one of my favorite ones it. I've seen. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah look I, it up. I think I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. I haven't seen the the new. They got um. Of it, they got Jason Horn Francis to sort of model it in like a '90s style room, and he's a great he's a great guy to have a model yeah, because he he's kinda, one of, he's a socks up yeah, operator as you well. You love these guys. <laughs> there's a couple. Well, there's not many left no. unless you're a ruckman. There aren't many like socks up guys in the AFL. Danger Miller, Tuke Miller, Francis. Yeah, they're kind of Tex. Tex. Yeah, anyone else? Many. Well, there's one coming through the ranks. We when we had Jasper Chalopper on the pod um, a few weeks back, we were talking about the draft class uh, coming up. Uh, he talked about Riley, Riley Sanders. Sanders yeah, yeah, he's a yeah. socks up operator too. Plays for the Allies, so uh, it, it lives on at least. Uh, well, just just the on the generation. Hawks quickly. I, I'm 
I know we're throwing ahead a little bit now to next year, but don't bullish on the Hawks for next year. They've got a great young midfield. Mm. Like, all their whole midfield is... Their oldest player in the midfield is Connor Nash, who's 24. Um, and he feels like he's been playing for quite a while now. Um, Will Day, uh, John Newcomb, Dylan Moore, who goes through there. James Warple's back to his to his best form. I don't know. I, f- I feel like they're, they're, they're probably a couple of players here and there away. I'd love agent, another maybe. forward to mm. sort of partner Mitch Lewis. And if he can get a full season, he'll, he's going to kick 50-plus. Um, good team. I reckon they're going to be a good team, the Hawks. Probably probably not as down on them as a lot of people probably would have expected at the start of the year. Cats uh, got their mojo back in terms of uh, scores from D50 chains. Which it's probably a good ground to do it on because there's not a lot of room to move uh, out of defence and so you kind of just got to go one way. Uh, the Cats also, some interesting little side notes, and this was almost something I noticed, Jake, was the Jack Henry decision and to sub him out like in the third quarter so after he was injured in the first quarter and just sat on the pine. He did nothing. And, yeah, they tried to get him back on. It didn't work. My question is, if you know a guy's injured, why not just sub him off? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? You, you're you're playing with 21 instead of 22. That's yeah, what the I'm injury subs for. And, I don't and understand. It. I know they they might have said, oh, he can maybe he can run it off, but the, they waited so long. Uh, and you talk about a, a game that was close until the last term. Mm. Um, yeah, a couple of baffling decisions there. Uh, but his brother played pretty well. Yeah, four goals straight for uh, Ollie Henry and a couple of score assists from seven kicks. So again, he's one of those really sort of low quantity, high impact players. Doesn't need a lot of kicks to. Um, to finish with a you know high impact on the scoreboard, another player that sort of probably set him up for a couple of his goals. I think I think Gry Myers and Ollie oh, Henry. I tell you actually what. might be close to the two um, you know two most assisted players in the competition in, in terms of Myers kicking it to Ollie Henry. But Myers had another five score assists, so he came into the game with forty nine. The record for a home and away season was fifty, so he is now on fifty four. He's four ahead of anyone else has ever had on a home and away season assist. with yeah with yeah. three more rounds to play. So so. The All-Australian chat, is this where you're going? Well, there's t- two parts here. One, I don't know if it's possible for Grind Mice to touch the ball and the comment- commentary can't acknowledge that he's the score assist king. Literally, he had 24 disposals. <laughs> they said it 24 times. <laughs> is he in the, is he, does he deserve to be in the All-Australian team? I don't, I don't Grind think so. Grind Mice or Carl Langford? I don't think either are in the final squad. But I think Langford probably it, it would be closer. He's kicked six goals for the year, Grind Mice. I know he's had a lot of score assists. I don't know. I, I just don't know. I'd have... I mean, you call me crazy, but I think Christian Petrarca's second on the score assist list for the year. I'd have him in... I'd rather have him as a half forward because they're going to be squeezing him out of the midfield. But you guys know how I feel about this. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Uh, the City Derby or the City Derby or the Battle of the Bridge or whatever we want to call it. Uh, another... another. This is becoming one of my favourite rivalries, I think. And it's not just because the Giants are wearing their really nice um, grey-out uniform where it's all the whole charcoal, but it's also because the results aren't always exactly what you expect. And we go back to like that final a couple of years ago in Tassie uh, where, the, where the Giants shocked the Swans. Um, again, the Giants were kind of on a long winning streak and then the Swans just come into GW, uh, to Giant Stadium and, and get the job done. Yeah, but probably the one I notice is Giant Stadium. I, I really... You know, don't like to sort of nitpick on grounds and that, but the the surface and that venue doesn't sort of it's not conducive to great no. footy. So once again, looked at this game: three point seven disposals per turnover across the match. 
that's the sort of the equal worst that's uh, an interesting in a game this season. So, yeah, both teams are turning it over. I mean, Sydney had 101 turnovers for the game. That's the fourth most by any side this season. So that's, that's weird because in front of goal, they were so good. Exactly. And then you know, another little one I've put in is that there was a third most ground kicks in a game this season. So the ball just doesn't sit up, but it's just sort of hacked forward. So it was a very, very hacky game between the arcs and everywhere else. And then, exactly, I think the Swans were 12 goals straight they got. They got their first 12 without a miss. Mm. Yeah. Um, time, yeah, expected accuracy. They were sort of plus 17% on their expected accuracy, which is, uh, I think it was the 10th or 11th best result in a game this year. So in terms of, you know, outperforming where you're supposed to be. So, yeah, the skills and the, the you know, the... Um, the quality of the game was quite low, but yeah, just in front of goal for Sydney, they just couldn't miss, and that's probably what, yeah, clearly what won in the game in the end. Did you ever think that North were going to pull off the upset against the Ds? At, uh... um, yeah, I did. Hmm. Um, if it was at the G, probably wouldn't have thought that, but I thought down there, yeah, I, I could see them winning, especially, I think they were forty up 43-9. to nine. Yeah. Second quarter. Yeah, it was, um, um, and it was a really were... slow start. Yeah, the they just, they looked like they were growing in confidence, North, um... And then, sort of, Melbourne didn't seem to play any better in the second quarter, but by half time, they're only down by four points. And it's like, well, they're obviously going to come over the top of them now. Mm. Um, but to your point at the start of the this podcast, yeah, Melbourne hasn't played. They're winning games and they're, they're kicking a score despite all the forward line injuries, but they haven't felt like they've played a good four quarter game in months. Even you go, but you go back to the Brisbane game at the MCG, and it was Brisbane sort of got the jump on them early. Melbourne dominated, and then Brisbane came back late and almost overran them. Yeah. So it was again in that game, it was almost like Brisbane, Adelaide, Brisbane won fifty percent. Richmond, of that they, game. they kind yeah. of t- shut up in the last quarter. Mm. So they're winning, which, but I don't know. Maybe that's a good thing. They haven't, they haven't put, they haven't managed to string it all together, and they're still winning games. Well, they've got three more games, kind of as as you allude to off air. The runway. You watch. The they'll, they'll put it together this week. <laughs> Uh, to kind of get things moving again. And, and look, maybe they will end up being one of the flag favourite or the flag favourite mm. uh, when, when September rolls around. Uh, the Blues, we did talk about them a little bit earlier as well, but again, their MO was is, is hard contested ball, the clearances, and that's where they, they undid the Saints in the second yeah, half. Yeah, and again, the, the when they played early in the season, it was basically no stoppages. It was a lot of kicking sideways, and St Kilda gave Carlton a lot of space and a lot of dead ball movement and... And they did nothing with it. There was a lot more stoppages in this one, which sort of Carlton went to work at it. So won the clearances 46 to 22. So plus 24 differential. That's the second worst uh, differential for St. Kilda in their history. Um, and yeah, Carlton's sort of second best since 2016. So um, yeah, again, it, it's it's what they're banking on is is the, um, the ability to win clearances and convert those into a score. Um, and yeah, sort of able to smash the Saints. But yeah, probably the one that I noticed in that last quarter, I think Carlton kicked the final six goals of the game, um, finished the game off so strongly. Jack Steele, Brad Crouch, neither of them had a disposal that's in the last quarter yeah. for the Saints. That's, so that's, so no just, wonder they had that was their second worst clearance differential in their in, in, in what, is the champion data history, so 99? Yeah. Yeah, so that that's like when you said that, I'm like, well, that's staggering. And then you think, well, yeah, the prime movers didn't touch the footy. Yeah, so it, doesn't, it, it matters, makes a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah, so they yeah they just dropped off the game, and yeah we sort of spoke about Nick Newman as well. Career high thirty one effective disposals, um, twenty three effective kicks. But something I sort of looked at Carlton, um, looking at the last sort of six week period, um, or even you know probably even the seven or eight week period. The big thing for Carlton for me is you know even taking out all the team numbers that we usually look at. You know we talk about premiership standards and scoring from clearance mm. and scoring from turnovers. Just the simple fact of who's been Carlton's top rated player um, yes. across each of their wins. So I'll read out some names. There's there's two common names you'll probably hear is Cripps and Kerno, but these are our top three Carlton's top three rated players 
I'll start at round 14 and I'll go down. So round 14, Cripps, Kemp, Kennedy. Next round, Silvani, Cripps, Mackay. Chera, Cripps, McGovern. Silvani, Motlop, Cripps. Kerno, Doherty, DeConning. Kerno, Hewitt, Wiedering. Newman, Fisher, Dow. So there's 15 different names out of those what 21. Yeah, and that's that's what you want. Yeah, and that's that was team, a big thing that team I, footy. I yeah. took out from the weekend. You know, Zach Fisher can't get a game, plays it across half-back and has 30 touches Great, and, and yeah. finishes as the second-highest rated player. Nick Newman, as I said, probably you know has been playing quite well this season but had a, a, yeah. had a big the ratings game. The reliance is on Cripps and, and uh, to some extent, Kerno is still in the forward line, particularly with no uh, Mackay there. But the reliance certainly isn't on Cripps in the midfield to just... Um, you know, produce those ridiculous games where he drags Carlton over and, the line anymore. And the other thing that, you know, again, putting the supporters hat on that makes me happy is a lot of these these names that are read out have been injured the next week. So Kennedy was top three rated player and we haven't seen him since. Uh, Walsh was a top three rated player and Chera. then got injured. Chera was, you know, best on ground in the first half Silvani against Collingwood. Well. Haven't seen him since. So they've also, yeah, they've, they've lost their in-form player and still been able to manage to yep. win. Uh, oh, geez, the Lions. And we again, we talked about them and they, they only just got over the line. And it's... It's it's the the contest work where they were beaten against the the Dockers, and so mm. uh, the third time this season the Lions have lost the contested possessions, the clearances, and the inside fifties. Yeah, so we know uh, Brisbane don't play the outside game; they they very much rely on those three stats. They they're very much a direct team, um, like to win contests, like to win clearances, and yeah, just again, just talking about the poor form of the um, of the top four teams. The they've only lost that stat three times: rounds one, three. And now round 21. So again, early in the season, they were still trying to get their game intact, mm. and probably you know it didn't hurt them as much. But you start to lose the you start to lose the stats that you've been dominating in the last mm. two or three rounds of the season. It's another good sign. Well, there's the blueprint for you, isn't it? If you want to try and beat the Lions as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a blueprint to how to beat every team, isn't there? Yeah, but uh, the probably again, probably we'll get to the last game. But I think it was one of the best performances of the weekend for me. It was Luke Jackson in that game, uh, Frio Brisbane. I almost made the comment that he he reminded me of Cooter, like of Anthony Cooter feeders at Carlton, because he seemed to be just at every he was either in the mid he was at the stoppage and then when Brisbane would go forward he'd intercept it down the other end and he was sort of he got forward in, you know, he only finished with one goal and a couple of score assists and two behinds. But start in ruck round. He sort of he was yeah, he, well exactly that. He he definitely enjoyed ruck round. So he had forty four hit outs, ten ground ball gets, six intercepts and a goal. Um he's the only player to have at least thirty hit outs Five, uh, sorry, ten ground balls, five intercepts, and a goal. Uh, first player, first player to do that since 2014. So I think Shane Mumford wow. was one of the last players to do it. But Sean Darcy just yeah, texting um, exactly, uh, just... Brody Grundy and asking him how he's dealing with being the second fiddle all of a sudden. Yeah. I was going to say Max Gordon and Luke Jackson both showing what they can do <laughs> as uh, sole ruckman. Uh, we're getting into red time of this podcast, proudly brought to you by Subway, which means it's time for is the hype justified or is it hyperbole, Jake? Finn McGuinness's tagging scalps have shown how valuable taggers are, and every team should have one player dedicated to shutting down the opposition's best oh, player. Oh, you're setting me up for a massive 100% justified. Um, we've, I think we've spoken about this five, six times on the podcast uh, over the years, um, and it's always a different player that does a great job that sort of brings this discussion up. 100%. Like, Sam Mitchell was saying... Um, you know, he was sort of talking about the job he did and, and sort of whether he could do it every week. And he said sort of, oh, a lot of it depends on structure and who we're playing and how they play and all that. I don't buy that as much. I reckon you can be playing someone like him every week and say, you are going to this guy and you're going to do this exact same job. And I get that Nick Dacos uh, is a different player to, so the Hawks are playing uh, the Dogs this week. He's a different player to Marcus Bont and Pally. I would still be sending him to the Bont. 
I would say, I, we, I want you to just take him out of the game. Do the mm-hmm. same thing. If he takes you forward, you go forward with him. You know, if he beats you, then we re, then we reassess what we do. But what he's doing right now, and what that job that he did, and you can go back, look at, he did the similar thing with Josh Kelly earlier in the year, Zach, Zach Merritt, no, uh, and then Merritt. go back to last year with some of the other names, Miller and um, uh, Ed Langdon, I think we kept to Jordan Dawson. So he, he's done it to a, a range of players over the last two years, but he obviously doesn't play every week. He should be playing every week and doing this every week. And if he's able to do that, and if he can do this every week and have that sort of impact, value-wise, and it's there's this is the key part, value-wise, he provides more value than 90% of players if that's what he's doing week in, week out. Fair enough. Uh, Christian, the Saints have been in the eight at the end of every round so far this season, but won't play finals in 2023. Yeah, I... I... <laughs> I think that might be justified, and it's it's hard to say from a stats point of view. Again, there we They'll talk about defence trumping offence, and St Kilda have been the best defensive team all year, and that mm. that's been again use that word their mo. And we know what Ross Lyon likes to bring in, and and their defence has been awesome. But there is for me, there's just been so so many other parts of their games that have been lacking all season long. Uh, teams are starting to catch up with them, and again they they bank some early wins, so there's still a chance to make finals. But I. Again, the rest of their ga- and the rest of their game plan, I can't see them doing damage in finals. But as I said, in terms of the way they've come in and their their signature, they've they've probably they've started at the right end of the ground. They're, they're fixing the defense, but it's it's they've got to start getting their offense going. One of those is I think they have a trip to the Gabba to play mm. the Lions, and then they play two at Marble. I think against Richmond and against might be maybe Geelong. Yeah, I just think of all the teams in that mix, like even. Even Sydney and Adelaide, I'd rather see. Their, I think they're more chance of winning a final than the Saints. Yeah. Um, I mean, it doesn't matter what I think, but yeah. <laughs> that's the reality. All right, last thing before we wrap things up, uh, Jake. Umpires should be able to pay free kicks against players after the siren has sounded if there's still at least a quarter to go. That's justified too. And I'm just wondering when the last time... When was the last time we didn't have a justified? I feel like all these <laughs> questions are set up for justified answers. Yeah, well, it is. Um, so I think you're probably alluding to the Dan Butler... Um, moment on half time in the Carlton St Kilda game when uh, he caught Ollie Hollands holding the clear holding the ball last seconds of the of the second quarter um, and it wasn't paid you know 15 meters out on an on an angle um, shot it would have been a shot at goal probably after the siren yeah um, and that would have put the Saints up by five goals I think at that point yeah um, I think they were twenty twenty two maybe yeah, you know, so like close enough to five five goals um, and. It wasn't paid. He went up to the umpire. I can't remember who the umpire was, but he went up to him and just gave him a real spray um, as the as players are, and the umpires were walking off the field. Yeah, free kick should be paid because that, at the moment was, it's a bit of a loophole. to children. That that that's the kind of stuff the AFL doesn't want. Yeah, right? it's proper abuse, and that's it, it's one of those ones that if the if it was the game clock was running, it would be fifty, 50 meters for descent. But no free is paid because it's a break in play. So mm. why not? Say that's a when we come out, that's a Carlton get the ball in the, in the center square. What like would, that's Carlton free kick. What would happen if that happens in the fourth term after the final siren? Well, the thing is, I don't think. Well, it could be a fine, but I don't think you. It's rare that the team that wins. Yeah. Like I can't see a result f- flipping on that because the team that wins is never going to be screaming abuse at the umpire after the game. Mm. It's the team that loses that potentially would be, um, and then. They're, the result isn't going to change if they give it... I mean, the margin would grow. But, I, yeah, I just think it. you can't just have a moment... Um, it's the same sort of thing as, like, the 
on the goal line, it's we have a different set of rules. You can just sort of whack someone or push. You know, it's like why is that? It's a loophole to yeah. hit. To well, basically, I've, I've also noticed that you see it when guys start getting into a melee or push and shove at quarter time. The umpires get in there and they say hands off each other, stop, stop, stop. But they can't. That's all they can say. Usually during the quarter, they can yell out, "I'm going to pay a free kick," and yeah. it yeah. stops it. But at quarter time, all they can do is walk with the players, go, "Stop, please stop, stop, please yeah. stop." Yeah. <laughs> think about your think about your wallet or something like that. <laughs> that was overheard once, wasn't it? Uh, good stuff. Uh, to everyone at home, if you want to get in contact with us, we're at Footy Tips on Twitter or on X or whatever you want to do. And if you have any yeah. questions, comments, uh, queries... What do you think of X? Uh, it's much the same, really. It's just, Is it? To everyone at home, we'll speak to you in the next one. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.